Welcome to The Real Deal, where God, His purposes, and His people are celebrated. I'm Rachel Inouye, bringing you encouragement through real life, people, and their stories. It's The Real Deal. Hey, let's get started. Okay, I'm really excited that you're here, Tom. And what I want to do for the first start, I do this with anybody. Fast as you can, answer these questions, okay? okay. It's a this or that. Ready? Sounds good. Okay. And, um, oh, by the way, I have Tom Tunnicliffe with me today. <laughs> <laughs> I just like get to it, don't I? <laughs> you I do. So, um, so I'm drawn to people that are the real deal. And this isn't flattery. I really think you're the real deal. Oh, I well, really thanks. do. I think you're amazing. <laughs> I honor you. I think you're the most hardworking, kindest man I've ever met. Oh, Seriously, I'm like, and then when I say, does anybody know Tom Tonicliffe? They go, oh, I'm going to tell you about Tom. And it's really true. So I'm honored to have you here. I want to talk about your book. I want to talk about you, who you are, how you've been formed as a leader. But before we get to that, this will just help everybody get to the rate of your voice and all that kind of stuff. Sure. All right. Okay. So here's some questions I want to shoot at you quickly. Answer them as fast as you can. Introvert, extrovert. Extrovert. Coffee, tea. Tea. Dog or cat, either. Dog. Morning bird, night owl. Morning bird. Books, movies. Ooh, I'm kind of dual on okay. that one. I love them both. I kind of thought that about you. <laughs> Silence, music. Music. Leaned in, laid back. Laid back. Shower, bath. Shower. Driver, passenger. Driver. All right, so that was painless, right? <laughs> Not bad. You Shoot, did great. You did this is great. a slam dunk. This is a slam dunk. You're going to be so good. People go, but he's the fastest answer. No, I think I would have guessed most of those. Did you say early bird? Yeah. Oh, okay. yeah. Okay, I thought that. Okay, so um, let me just ask you a quick question. When it comes to the real deal, you know, somebody that's been authentic, and uh, my dad, because of being in the art world, he'd also call it the, the genuine article. The authentic, and then in art, it would be the honesty of materials. Mm -hmm. You know, like you want your wood to look like it's wooden. Mm -hmm. You don't want it, and you want leather to be leather and metal to be metal. Okay, mm -hmm. so who is somebody in your life that you would honestly say was the genuine article? They were the real deal in your life. A person mm -hmm. that's affected you. Oh, man, there's just so many. But one that really stands out is a mentor named David Ekman. Okay. And David was one of my seminary professors, and he was okay. later my supervisor. And it's just been a friend and mm -hmm. mentor all these years. And um, and he experienced some significant life crisis that I yes. think that helped him become the real deal. Yeah. I don't think he grew up being the real deal. Mm -hmm. He grew up wounded. But his example has just been huge. Yeah. Do you know, are you privy to some of those things that shaped him? Oh, yeah. No, he, he, he grew up in a very abusive home, okay. a very abusive father, alcoholic father. And, uh, and he just cowered under that. Mm. And it wasn't until in uh, later in life, till uh, I think his late twenties or early thirties. So he'd married, had two kids. Yeah. And when uh, the the revelation of of really who Can, God help? made him to be was uh, that really started to sink into his heart. Wow. And bring healing and wholeness and and just his his honesty about the struggles that he experienced and yeah. and the transformation as well. Um, so real humble guy, but. Hmm. Yeah, so I would say he's one. He's the real deal. Yep. I think life's hard things, challenges, I mean, joys, of course, but the hard things do shape us mm. so that we shave off some of that other stuff we think we're pretending to be or trying to be or mm -hmm. whatever. Anyone else? You don't have to have two. I'm just wondering. You know, a, a guy, uh, a, 
a friend who just went to be with the Lord. Uh, mm. His name's Don Talley. And Don was one of our neighbors who lived a couple streets over when I was a kid growing up. And uh, I started going to church when I was in high school. Okay. And uh, he and his family were already involved at this church. And I, I, I got to know him, uh, you know. So he was about the age of my dad, maybe okay. a little bit younger than okay. my dad. But he was an engineer, but he just loved the Lord. He mm. took an interest in my dad, who was kind of far from God. Yeah. And and just lived his faith. He loaned my brother a car for a while. He just did so many yeah practical things we stayed in touch all these years he experienced so much adversity his first wife died of cancer when oh. he was about 40 um, three kids at home had a lot of challenges with mental illness with one child and a uh, um, lot of adversity yeah but God just used those to refine and mold and shape him mm -hmm. and he was just so full of other centered Christ-centered yeah, love yeah. Yeah. so yeah he's that's a big good. one that's good so you said he was instrumental in your upbringing. Where did you grow up? In Southern California, land of surf, sand, and sun. <laughs> You've never said that before, have you? Yeah, no. Surf, sand, and sun. That's good. <laughs> means a lot when it's 50 below around here. <laughs> it's crazy. So Southern Californian is in Wisconsin. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody else is back there, though. A lot of family are still in Southern Cal. They've, we've kind of dispersed. So some are in Northern Cal, some are in Southern, but it was a great place to grow up. Yeah. So grew up in, I was born in Canada, then we migrated to Santa Barbara. Okay. Uh, which is truly surf, sand, and sun, and then yeah. down to Orange County. So. Okay. But it was a good place to grow up. And so did you go to school in California? Your all the way through. All the way, all, all the way through? Yeah. Okay. Yep. So what school? So uh, like high school, high college. High school, college, all of it. So I went to University High School in Irvine, California. Okay. And we were the Trojans. Oh, okay. That was our mascot. It was all kind right. of a nice mascot. Yeah. But uh, uh, I eventually went to USC later in life. I got my doctorate at USC, which were also the Trojans. Yes. But in between those two, I went to Cal Poly San Luis Obispo and studied architecture. Okay, what was it called? What? Cal Poly okay. San Luis Obispo. Little school in Central California. Okay. And uh, studied architecture. Then mm -hmm. that was my first profession to my mm -hmm. early 30s. Did that. And then uh, went to seminary. Went to Western Seminary. Got a Master's of Divinity. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and that was in Sacramento. It was in one of their extension sites. Okay. And uh, then eventually ended up at USC. So, If somebody were to uh, try to erase all of that off of a whiteboard, is there anything out of all that teaching and experiences and learning and training that really stuck? Like, does something... Is it just etched in you? There's so there's there's so many different lessons. The um, uh, I mean, in one say, in one sense, I'm way overeducated, so okay. <laughs> I know that. <laughs> but from my undergrad yeah. at architecture experience, we we learned by doing. That right. was our motto at Cal Poly, and yeah. it was so true, and it be and it became true in, in my profession uh, as an architect. You learn by doing, mm -hmm. and you take a lot of notes. You learn a lot of things. You make mistakes, but you keep learning. Right. By doing. Right. And um, uh, I think in my seminary experience, I learned um, I learned how to live out my faith from my professors who were also practitioners. Many of my professors weren't full-time professors. They were pastors who were teaching okay. part-time. And so I got to see how they integrated their theology and their doctrine yep. with how they pastored and cared for people and preached and taught and discipled others. So yeah. That was so much one. is caught and taught. But so a lot is caught. You know oh, what I mean? Like you're watching huge. them, you're observing them, you know, in some ways, gleaning from them the best of their qualities. Right? Yeah. And you're like, oh, oh I yeah. like this about this dude. I like this about this guy, whatever mm -hmm. it is. Yeah, that's good. A lot of that's unconscious, too. You don't yeah. realize that you've caught it until right. later and you're, 
self-reflective and you go, hmm, so-and-so used to say that. And I mm-hmm. say that all the oh, time yeah. now. Oh, yeah. We have so many. We've written them down and gave them to my dad for um, one of his, I think his 80th birthday, all these Richard phrases. And some people in my family go, I still say that one, but not everybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> in different ones. Yeah. I spent some time with a friend walking in this neighborhood here and she moved away, but she would always say, right, right, right. You know, I talked to her about something. She'd go, oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and I mean, just, I, it was her normal phraseology. Yeah. She moves away and somebody says something to me and we were just talking as we were walking. I'm like, oh yeah, right, right, right. And I realized that's you exactly that. the way Kim talks. Yeah, you know, you she says it. that. <laughs> so it's kind of a mannerism too, but okay. So let me talk to you about those people that influenced you. And then the way that you've been shaped to continue to be educated, but then the leader that you are mm-hmm. and how that relates to what you wrote in this book. Mm-hmm. And we actually had a conversation around Christmas time, I think. Mm-hmm. And you, your book had just come out and what you were sharing, I was just, well, number one, I'm fascinated because I love people, but then how we learn things, how we pick things up, who influences us in our lives as we're becoming our own real deal mm-hmm. is amazing. Mm-hmm. It's literally amazing. And when you were kind of talking about the different categories, I could picture people in my own life mm-hmm. or in my kids' lives. Yeah. Like this person invested in my son, Andrew, or this is something that Michael learned. This is mm-hmm. when Grace, and I had people for some of those high points that you were yeah. talking about. So. Whether this is a good segue or not, I want you to tell me about what you learned about leaders, how they're formed, and and some of that. No, that sounds great. Tell us Would about love the book. to do that. The um, so the the part of what's fueled the whole book was yeah. my passion to invest in the next generation yep. of leaders for the church. I was a youth pastor back when dinosaurs were on the earth, yeah. <laughs> and and just love investing in those and, and, and right. equipping others and seeing how God uses them. And, right. Um, the uh. uh so a number of years ago, I was teaching seminary at Western Seminary, as okay. a, uh, and I used to teach an introduction to seminary class. So it was the very first class that students would take when they're taking all their theology and Bible and yeah. preaching and all that stuff. And it, it was a it was a short class, and it was mainly like theological terminology okay. and a little bit of church history, little things, just to give them an edge, even okay. even a little bit of speed reading, effective reading kind of stuff, because you can get buried with reading right. in Bible college or seminary. Right. Well, inevitably, three weeks, two or three weeks into the semester, I could tell you who in that class were going to flourish in ministry and who were going to have more of a tough time of it. Wow. And just it had, a few weeks in. Oh, yeah. No, and it, and it had nothing, obviously, to do with what I was teaching them. It was stuff that I observed in their life that they had gained elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So here I am thinking that seminary is going to do all this great stuff in their life, but they had already gained some pretty significant abilities and capacities before they even showed up yeah and so when i entered my doctoral program at uh at usc my desire for my dissertation project was i wanted to find out where did they get those qualities yeah where did they come from yes how did they develop them yeah so then you decided that's what i want to study that's yeah. what i want to find out yeah and so that was my so w- with that question in mind yeah how do how do young leaders developed or young people of high impact? Mm. And because not everybody's meant to be a leader, but I think all of us have the capacity to have a high impact on others. Yeah. And so my first task that I had to set was um, was the boundaries. Who, what, what age slice that I want to okay. study? Study, right? Okay. And so uh, I looked at the what happens in high school years, college years, okay. and the five years post college. 
okay. uh, as the as a as my kind of zone of influence. Even though stuff happens before that and stuff happens after, but those were my years of focus. So that it wasn't like this is when your personality is formed at age two. You wanted to know about leaders and how people rise kind of to the top of their game. Yeah. To no. be a high impact. Exactly. Okay. okay. And so the other thing that was a challenge is that I had to have an interview pool of people that I was going to interview and ask about this that that had a track record of leadership. So that they, they it wasn't just because they said they were a good leader or because of their title. No, they had to have a demonstrated tracker, track record. So yeah. I chose to interview megachurch pastors okay. around the country. And so I interviewed 40 megachurch pastors. I initially, I wanted to just do 10. And my dissertation wow. advisor says, no, you need to do 50. Oh. <laughs> and I said, how about, and so we agreed on 40. 40. So anyhow, so I interviewed, uh, and, and these were all men. Okay. So there, there weren't many women megachurch pastors right, right. back when I was doing my study. That's fair. But they came from multiple denominations, multiple okay. ethnic backgrounds, but they had to have grown a church to over 2,000. Okay. So they couldn't have been the takeover pastor, the pastor who stepped in after mm-hmm. somebody else had grown it. They had to be the one that either started it or grew it significantly. Yes. And what was fascinating was within three or four interviews of guys, I would, I would begin to see patterns already rising to the surface that were consistent patterns. These are people that don't necessarily know each other. Right, right. You know, and they weren't comparing notes. But as they shared their stories, I I would ask them questions like, what happened to you in your high school years that was most influential in your development as a leader? And then I just let them talk. Right. And I was recording it just like we're recording this. And, uh, And as they began to share, it was obvious the things, the, the, the consistency across them. And I began to see patterns. And it was it was amazing. So what was one of those things that kept coming up where you were like, okay, that rang my bell, that rang my bell. This isn't just an anomaly. This is a one-guy deal. This is consistently they found, you found what? Yeah. So in those, in fact, all across the years, but particularly in high school, many of them shared stories of, of, um, of how sports, team sports, yep shaped them as as leaders football basketball baseball were the ones most commonly mentioned there was there was a few that were more individualized sports there's a there's a swimmer on the mix and a golfer and a okay and a a martial arts uh expert too and they all those had an impact but the other thing was performing arts Um, many of them were were Mm -hmm. musically talented and were in bands or choir orchestra Um, uh, another thing was part-time jobs uh, were really influential And who would have thought flipping burgers was yeah. that formative in a leader's life? But some of these guys were were almost choking up as yeah. they were recounting stories mm-hmm. of these things, how they impacted them. But the common thread among all those things was that they were building confidence. Yep. And not just any kind of confidence, layers of confidence. Very specific layers. And, and as the interviews continue, I began to see four specific layers of confidence. Okay. Arise. Tell us what those layers are, or what you consistently found. This yeah. is, yeah, okay. Oh yeah, no, across all forty, and at the and the ages of these guys at the time were, I think, the youngest was in his early forties, and the oldest was probably in his eighties, um, retired. But um, did you get excited? Oh I mean, my! Like seriously, you're like I'm on to something. Oh my gosh, <laughs> it was it was amazing. No, I was I was so pumped, yeah. and still am. Yeah. It still amazes me that yeah. that I was allowed to see these because not many people get to talk to forty megachurch pastors or right. forty high impact people. Period. Right. But what was interesting is the first layer of confidence that 
that I began to see, and it was primarily forged in the high school years okay. and somewhat in the college years, was what I end up calling it primitive confidence. Okay. And primitive confidence is simply the confidence of getting good at something. And these areas like sports, performing arts, part-time jobs, those provided the context yeah. to get good at something. Hey, the fact that you played football in high school, I played football in high school. Yeah. Okay, I don't play football anymore. You know, yeah. I got a bad shoulder. Maybe yeah. I can toss the ball around. <laughs> but, but the lessons that I learned, then the primitive confidence that I gained has carried with me mm. in an almost a scaffold fashion oh, that's good. over the years. That's good, yeah. So so that primitive confidence was huge, and it was just getting good at something. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the second layer of confidence, and these aren't necessarily in order, but primitive confidence was kind of foundational. Was, was foundational. Okay. The... Uh, was uh, what I call vicarious confidence. Vicarious confidence is confidence you get from somebody else. Mm. You're not doing anything necessarily to get it, to, um, but it's others in your life. And they function in three ways to kind of almost send, almost like wirelessly okay, yeah, sending yeah. vicarious yeah. confidence to you. Confidence your way. Yeah, <laughs> no, totally. And the uh, the first was just by modeling, just their role model. It was your it was an English teacher. It was a it was a history yep. teacher. It was a football coach, a track coach, a, yep. you know, a music teacher, a band leader, all these kinds of folks. A parent, a grandparent, they their model, their example that they set. Yep. So, and many of the times it was unintentional. They're not trying to be a role model. They're just right. doing what they know to do. Kind of like that being you catch it that we talked about. Exactly. Yeah. No. Vicariously, you're catching something of them. Yeah. Yeah. So that was. That was a that was a big one. The uh, the second way that, that you got vicarious confidence was by affirmation, by their affirmation of both of your worth and your value as a person, but what you got good at. So yes. they affirmed real things in your life. It wasn't just mom telling you you're going to be the next president. Yeah. It was things that were like so that you were on a winning team or that you were doing well. So somewhat observable, like yeah. literally, they don't feel like oh you're just flattering me, but. Yeah, he's right or she's right. I I feel this too. Yeah. No, and and it coming from somebody that you hold in high yeah. esteem is what adds so much punch Huge. to it. Another interesting thing about vicarious confidence is that the people had to be ahead of you, but sometimes not too far ahead. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if they were too far ahead, then it didn't it didn't have as much value mm -hmm. as a uh, uh, building building the confidence. Mm -hmm. The third way that was really interesting was through a push what I call a push. So this is when a person of influence in your life pushes you to do something that you wouldn't self-select, that you wouldn't choose, but mm. they see something in you and they challenge you to take a class or to go to a camp or to do an extra project. And it's in that experience that you develop the vicarious confidence. Yep. But you wouldn't have been there if they hadn't pushed you. Yep. And I can uh, think of one right now. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah. Like more than one area, right? Oh, and there's there's so many things like that. Kind of like being pushed out of the nest, but not in a you're going to fall to your peril way, but in I see something. And so I'm asking you to step out. Mm -hmm. Or literally that's calling us up and out in a like a, in a kingdom way. That's yeah. like, yeah, this step into it. Go. Oh, absolutely. Oh, oh it's good. It's huge. So that so that's vicarious confidence. Okay. And 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 we gain layers of vicarious confidence all through our lives. That, that happened with these guys that I interviewed in their early years, but it also happens throughout life. Right. All, all the way till I think, to the end of life. Yeah. We can, we can gain that. We're, we're primitive, never done with that. Yeah, part. no, exactly. Primitive confidence tended to be earlier. I think people can gain primitive confidence later in life if they haven't gained it 
at a okay. young age, but I think they can gain it by getting good at something even 30, 40, 50, 60 years of age. Yeah. Um, the, Learning uh, a new skill, yeah. maybe, or whatever. Okay. Yeah. No, you bet. The third uh, layer of confidence was what I call command confidence. So okay. command confidence was the, was the confidence you gain leading something. So you actually are are in charge of 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 some sort. You have, you have some sort of mission of leading others to accomplish a certain goal. Okay. And the heart of command confidence was feeling the weight of responsibility on your shoulders and experiencing a win where you did something well. And it could have been, hey, you were asked to share your testimony in front of yep. the youth group, and you did or it. on a mission trip, or you led a vacation Bible school of, of kids, or. There were so many stories like this, or you were the shift supervisor, you know, at Hardee's. Yep. That was a big, a big step of where the weight was on your shoulders. But so often in leadership experiences, when we're do with like with interns and, and other kinds of experiences, we don't give them the weight of responsibility. They get to try all these things, but whether they fail or not, it doesn't really matter. Some, you know, because they're under somebody else or they're in the weird word, they're not being exposed to the weight of it, actually. Yeah. They, yeah. They're doing something, probably even busy. Yeah. But, yeah, it doesn't fall on them. Oh, yeah. Win no. or lose kind of whatever thing. Yeah, but it's that it's that combination of the weight plus the win. And, so good. And now we all fail, and we learn lessons from our failure. There's no question. That actually relates to something I'm going to say a little bit later. Okay. But the uh, the win is big. And it doesn't have to be a – I say it's big. It's, it's influential, but it doesn't have to be a big win. Yes. It could just be a little yes. thing. Hey – you you shared your testimony yes. in front of the youth group, and one of your buddies comes up and gives you a fist, fist bump. bump. That that's that that'll do it. Yeah, yes. <laughs> you know the youth pastor gives you a high five. Yes, uh, or a pat on the shoulder. Yes. That's all it takes. Yeah, you know, and we can deliver command confidence to others all the time. All the time. I was just thinking about that. I was just thinking, so how many opportunities are out there of sowing a seed into somebody that literally was a seed? That later grew into a big thing because you said, hey, way to go. I oh. really appreciate that you did whatever that was. Oh, and I heard story after story of these guys sharing this. And the other thing I just want to insert in right now, too, yeah. is is after I did the study, I was a little concerned. I interviewed these 40 guys, found these principles and truths. And I thought, well, how does this apply to women? And how does this apply to people not in ministry and other yeah, yeah. areas of influence? And so I began to extend the study and talk to women of high, who I would consider of high impact yeah. and men of high impact and in, in business and other realms and the same principles. I was just they answered say, the same. It has to be universal. They were they were across the board. So it was that was awesome. Weren't you like I'm on to something? Oh, it was in, it was incredible, <laughs> and it still is. Yeah. The um, <clears throat> the fourth layer of confidence is uh, what I call turbo confidence. Okay. And turbo confidence is a is the is a layer of confidence that you gain in a short, intense period of time. Turbo confidence is when life itself just crushes in on you, and presses you. And in the midst of that, how it's forged is when life presses in, and it's crushing down. You cry out to God for help. He sustains you yeah. and gives you the help you need. Doesn't remove you from the right. obstacle, right. but sustains you. And you make it through. Yeah. It could be the loss of a parent. It could be a significant illness. It could be a kid going off the ranch and you begging God for yeah. help. It could be all kinds of adversity, losing a job, your own health challenges. So many different stories these guys shared with me uh, of it, it happening over a short, intense period of time. But it built this layer of confidence when they made it through and the next crisis arises. 
or the next challenge comes, they look back on that almost, almost uh, unconsciously. Yeah. God brought me through the last one. Yep. He'll get me through this That's one. That's right. And, and, and we continue to build those layers of turbo confidence throughout life. Now, there's nothing that we can do. Nobody wants to intentionally throw themselves under the bus. So, right. so you don't really plan you your know, turbo moments. Yeah. You don't like, Hey, I'm going to train the staff on how to do turbo confidence. You right. know, so everybody right. down under the bus. Right. Um, <laughs> it's, it's one of those layers of confidence to be forewarned is to be forearmed there you know, you to, go. to know there you go. that God uses these things and he is faithful and he will hold you. And sometimes he does deliver you and yank you out of it and you're, and you get healed and yeah. whatnot. And other times you endure. Yeah. And, and, and oftentimes it is delivered from but not a lot of times just delivered through there's still yeah. a deliverance absolutely you still are through you've yeah. endured not been plucked from but endured i'm no longer there and i'm not even the same person yeah as there because i've become this new deal no this new absolutely me. Yeah. You know, scripture's full of examples romans 5 yeah. uh, uh james one, you know, a lot of times we'll throw James one at somebody, you know, consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials. Well, yahoo, I want to throw a party. Right, right, right. But what turbo confidence does is it plants a little seed of hope mm -hmm. that even in the midst of this adversity, yeah, I'm not happy, but I know God's at work and I know he's going to get me through it. Yeah. You know, when you were talking about, um, I want to know more about this, but I was just, when you were talking about the vicarious confidence, mm -hmm. there's also... You can share your turbo confidence while you're in it oh, yeah. with hope, and it still spreads other seeds to other people. Because the person who's going through that pressing, but they're not being crushed, pressed but not crushed, persecuted, not abandoned, struck down, not destroyed, it builds everybody up. Because we do know they're, they are going to get through it because of God. Not just oh. because they're somehow a superhuman, but because of God. Because he does not actually put anything on us, I don't believe, that wasn't actually testing us for what he really wants to lay mm -hmm. upon us later. You know, like sometimes I've said to people, I'm, I'm not really a heavyweight or anything, but I sometimes test a chair before I sit down on it because <laughs> we went to an event one time at New Year's Eve and I broke the chair. No, that's Man, hard to believe. You know? <laughs> yeah, I broke the chair. And they're like, Rachel... I think you're the tightest person in the room. And so I sometimes do that, right? Just to check how much weight should I put on this? I would test it first. I think God does not mean to crush us. Mm -hmm. He tests us before he lays what he really wants to lay on us mm -hmm. in a beautiful way. He's going to lay on us something of his glory, something of his weightiness, that thing that you talked about in the beginning where you have to have it in order to really be invested in the win of it, right? So, But not in a mean way. He's mm -hmm. testing us through those turbo confidence sections i think oh absolutely for, for our own good and his glory later but it's like it's exciting to see okay so i didn't mean to interrupt you but those are the different confidence levels so those are the four okay. layers of confidence okay. yeah give me the first one again though so primitive confidence primitive. okay vicarious vicarious command, command confidence, and then turbo and turbo okay and and let me say this too i think there's a lot of people that will never necessarily experience command confidence because they're not called to be leaders and they're they're good at other things and that's okay right but I think all of us can experience primitive confidence. All of us can experience vicarious confidence. And all of us can experience turbo confidence. Right. I'm wondering if we short circuit or don't believe the leadership role that may not be considered a leader, but you're still leading. Do you, do you know what I mean? You may have to be organizing a group for something within your kid's school. And you might not think of yourself as a huge leader, but other people are looking for you to be a point person to do 
the field trip. I don't care. You know what I mean? So we do lead in different ways. No, absolutely. You know, those are, and those are significantly legitimate right. leadership roles. Right. Where we're, where we're being a, a person of influence. Yeah. Helping a group accomplish a, a goal. So tell me how you came up with the names. You know, it's interesting. They, they didn't come easily right away. Yeah. So I had, I have in, in my first book, which is mostly my dissertation, yeah. it's, it's, it's a very academic ease kind of language. Yeah. And so I use different terms for these. But as I began to teach in different settings and coaching others and these labels, these these titles really started to come through. Yeah. So, um, and that primitive confidence, I, I love that name just because it comes first. Yes, it does. It's early and it's yes, not. It, it has nothing to do with leading anything. Nope. It's not about being a leader. It's about getting good at something. Right. And there's other skills that you gain that in order to get good at something, you need for what I call reinforcing factors, too, that are that stay with you for the rest of your life. So. Right. And the importance of knowing that whatever level we're at, we can influence someone else just by being who we are in our journey. Mm -hmm. Because it's somebody else is looking for that piece, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, oh yeah. okay. So... I think, would vicarious confidence be like when you finished your first book? And I've told you about this moment. So you finished your first book, you come to Life Group, you set it down on the table, and you tell us, you guys, it's been kind of a long road, but I've finished. And we all were like, oh my gosh, this is so great. Well, everybody in the room liked it, but it was something for me. It like it, it landed on me because I was in the middle of trying to write this first book. Yeah. And, well, first book. It's the only book I've written so far, but I have yeah. another one in the make. But I know that that moment formed something in me. And I, I, I really want you to know, Tom, I was like, Michael, Tom even said he could help us if we had a question. It like it's like the bowl was in the thing and somebody opened it so it could yeah. go into the yard and run around, you know, in the rodeo. They're literally, I was behind that going, I think I should, I need to, I already <laughs> have the chapters. And you, you set it down on the table and I felt like God pulled up that thing. If that makes mm. like you go, it was vicarious confidence, right? No. Oh, all the way. And the beauty of it is, you know, I had no idea. I'm just, yeah fat, dumb, and happy kind of sharing what I'm doing. And yeah. Hey, here's my book. Yeah. It's but it was, huge. but it was my, it was my example. It was the role model that I set yes. of, in, in one sense, you're looking going, well, Tom can do it. I can do it. Exactly. And that's how vicarious confidence exactly. works. Exactly. That's how that modeling works. Years ago, I was with a bunch of guys, a bunch of buddies in our Bible study that I had out in California yeah. and we were at an indoor climbing center. Okay. You know, and we're making a lot of pretty good climbs, you know, 20, yeah. 30 foot climbs. Yeah. And, and it was, and you had to have a re, a person repel or, or uh, not repelling. You had to have the belayer yeah. holding onto the rope for you. And there was one climb that when you got to the top, there were no, none of those little handhold footholds. They, yeah. they stopped. And, and there were two opposing rock faces where you had to do a chimney move. You had to kind of scooch in okay. between and shimmy up yeah. this chimney. Well, one of my friends did it just ahead of me and he's in a little better shape than I am yeah. at the time. But I thought, man, if he can do it, right. I can do it. Right. But what's interesting, if one of the younger rock star rock climbers at the center would have done it, it wouldn't have given me the vicarious confidence as much as yes. if my friend did it. Yes. Because I was a lot closer in ability to him. So having somebody that's a yeah. little bit further down the road, is huge. That's key because otherwise, if they're too much further, we can be like discouraged by that because we'd be like, oh yeah, but they're experts or yeah. they're further along or they're exactly. that much older. Well, yeah. You think it would bring hope, but it's not true hope to you yeah. then because it's like, eh, nah. Oh I, yeah. 
totally an aside, but we just watched The Dawn Wall. Have you seen that movie? No. It's a documentary. It is fabulous. You need huh. to look up that documentary. Yeah. Okay. No, that sounds good. We might need to edit that out, but I don't yeah. care. It was really <laughs> fascinating. Yeah. And there was a part where it wasn't getting, they couldn't get past it, they couldn't get past it, they couldn't get past it, and then the one guy did. And so the other guy is back there knowing, okay, my buddy did it. You know, my mm. buddy did it, which reminds me of your story, but it was yeah. very, very good. No, that's cool. Okay, so... What other parts or what other things did you find in leaders? So here's what, what's what's interesting is um, these four layers of confidence in and of themselves, they need something else. Okay. There were there were there were four other elements that I found that were really significant in forging those layers of confidence. Yeah. The the picture that came to mind to really help me tie this all together is a glue laminated beam. And uh, as an architect, so I'm, I'm still a little bit of an architect nerd. Yeah. Glue lamb beams are beams that are made in a factory where you layer a whole bunch of pieces of okay. wood of like two by fours or two by sixes and you glue them together yes. to make a bigger beam. Yep. And, and so the layers represent like the wood, the pieces of wood, the layers of confidence are like okay. pieces of wood. The more layers of yep. confidence you have, the greater ability that you can carry heavy loads as a yes. leader, yes. more weight of responsibility yes. on your shoulders. But a beam will not carry the weight unless the pieces are glued together. And so what I call these other four elements are four epoxy-like seams okay. that go between the layers. And the four seams, the first seam is simply convictions mm -hmm. is what your convictions are mm -hmm. and your convictions are huge they're different than beliefs beliefs mm -hmm. you know are ideas and things that we hold to but convictions actually drive your behavior right they they limit your choices based on what your convictions are yeah we don't have that many convictions as as humans but it's those these convictions provide what I found in these interviews is these guys shared these convictions that they learned early on in their yep. faith development that stayed with them and propelled their ministries in, in significant ways. Wow. But convictions provide motivational fuel and moral guardrails. Okay, okay. So they kind of provide a twofold thing. They keep us focused and keep us from straying too far. Left or right or, yeah. But they also provide motivation and almost like rocket fuel mm -hmm. to stay on track. And, and it was amazing grabbing a hold of uh, and hearing their convictions and what a difference that made. Like one pastor in Texas shared of a large, large church shared that he learned as a high school student the conviction to make disciples of all nations. Yep. Well, their church is an incredibly evangelistic, outreach-oriented church. Mm -hmm. And that was forged mm -hmm. as a conviction yep. in high school. Um, just hearing his pastor, hearing yep. his youth pastor, yep. and seeing it role modeled. Um, so convictions were huge, but where, and where we get convictions, that's the other thing that was just fascinating is convictions. They come more by, we absorb them from the communities that we commit to. They're mm. absorbed mm. and then embraced. Okay. So we almost unconsciously yeah. absorb them from communities that we belong to. It could be our family of origin. Yep. It could be a work community that we're involved with, or it could be a church community or a yep. youth group. A number of different things. The water we swim in really does affect us, and oh, certain things will stick. Huge, yeah. and we absorb them, and and then we more consciously embrace them over time. Got it. So, but that was that was one of the epoxy-like seams yeah. that was just huge. Okay, share another one. Uh, the second one was what I call spiritual wholeness. Okay. And spiritual wholeness it really developed because uh, over time, and it was and it was actually after my after I finished the research, 
And I don't even use that term in my dissertation anywhere. Okay. But uh, in my research, I had to do a, a literature review before I did my national study. And so okay. I had to read anything and everything on leadership development okay. that was research-based. So it couldn't have been Bob's 10 snappy reasons of why you develop as a leader. It okay. would have to be like studies and, yeah, yeah, yeah. and those kinds of things. And one of the things that came up a lot was the importance of self-awareness, mm. of a person developing, of uh -huh. really recognizing who they are. Mm -hmm. Well, what I found, a couple things that I found in my research, was many of the men didn't develop self-awareness until their 40s. Wow. Significant levels of self-awareness. Now, guys were, I think, and again, I'm being overly general, general. here probably, because yeah, yeah. I think this could apply to anybody, but we tend to almost more unconsciously lean towards what we're good at and mm. avoid what we're not good at. Mm. And so it's almost like unconscious awareness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it still functions. Okay. But, but it's more a little bit later in life where we begin to identify, oh, this is what I'm not good at. Mm -hmm. And this is what I'm good at. Right. Right. But this is the other fascinating thing of, of, um, with self-awareness is knowing who you are and who you aren't and what you're good at and what you're not. The problem with that, that I, I've seen not in the men that I studied, but in others in okay. other realms is that you can have self-awareness and still be stuck. True. You can know who you are and know who you aren't, but not like yourself. Right. And be crippled by shame and right. guilt and defensiveness. And, right. And as soon as somebody brings up something that you're not good at, yeah. you bristle or mm -hmm. you change the mm -hmm. subject. And so self-awareness is not really helping them out. Yeah. And so what I found was that, that, it, that it, there was a, another element that came alongside uh, that helps us to flourish. And if, and it's this is almost as fundamental as like primitive confidence. Okay, okay. Is this spiritual wholeness. Spiritual wholeness is a blend of self-awareness, of knowing who you are and who you aren't, yeah. what you're good at and what you're, you're not, not, and being okay with it. Yeah. Because you know you are so loved by God. Yeah. And you're, you're okay with yourself. Yeah. This is, hey, this is who I am and this is who I'm not. Oh, well. Yeah. You know, and God loves me. The, it's not defeatist. <laughs> it's actually like both self self aware and like that. You just get to take this deep breath and let your shoulders down. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, but and I'm love. See, striving. I get this. I can do do this because I'm good at this or not good at this. And that's good. Oh, it's, it's like huge. somebody let oxygen in the room. Oh, it, it it was huge that whole unfolding of that yeah. because I would see the limitations of self-awareness, you know, and read all these books and you all, and we could go to Barnes and Noble yeah. now and pull book leadership books off the shelf. And I'll show you somewhere that it's saying something about self-awareness, self -awareness. but it's not enough, mm. but you have to be okay with yeah. it. And what makes it okay with it for the believer yeah. is just knowing how and experiencing, I shouldn't just say knowing cause it's more than cognitive. Right, right, right. It's right. experiencing that affectionate love of Christ right. for us that right. drenches our soul. We really and can't keep, get past identity. No. Identity and who we no, are and who we are is the core of everything. It's once the heart you, of spiritual wholeness. Once you get it, nobody can take that from you. Yeah. No matter what happens, no, what, no matter what weight's put on you, when you get it, you get it. Yeah. That's good. Oh, that's huge. Okay. So spiritual wholeness was yeah. the second. Yeah. Epoxy-like scene. Right. Third? The third was an aggressive learner mindset. Okay. Every one of these guys were learners. They were, they were constantly learning mm -hmm. and growing and expanding. And it didn't matter whether they were 30 or 40, 50, 60, 70, yep. or 80s. They were learners. And both active and passive, 
Okay, explain so, that. So, so what I mean by that is they would actively seek out new knowledge, insights, either whether it was a sermon series or a challenge their church was facing, what they need to overcome, or a personal challenge. So they're going to learn. They're going to grow. They're going to take initiative yeah. to read books, talk to people, right. seek out mentors and, and yeah. counsel and seeking wise counsel. So that's, that's the active side of an aggressive learner mindset. Right. The passive side, and this was huge, passive side is just the humility to be open to life lessons when they come. When that coworker says, you know what, you really stink at that. Or, you know, that if you did it this way, it would help you a lot more. When that unsolicited advice comes yeah. and you're open to it. Yeah. That's huge. That There's, is huge. There are so many lessons that we need in life. Yeah. Because we because we have blind spots. Right. There's no way we can learn it all ourselves. Right. But people, if they take an interest in us, they'll give us counsel. They'll give yep. us advice, whether yep. it's being a mom or a dad yep. or a, or whatever. Because they care and love us enough to show us that too, right? Yeah. So it's interesting. In the very beginning, when I said, um, "Are you leaned in or laid back?" The leaned in is the going after it kind of thing, but the laid back is the passive. I'm still I'm laid back, and I'm still going to receive what I need to know to shape me. Oh, absolutely. And people that don't have that passive side mm. you can be a learner you can be an aggressive learner and you can have a phd and get yep. have 4.0 gpa and all that but if you're not open to that passive side you're going to hit a glass ceiling faster than mm-hmm. all get mm-hmm. out mm-hmm. and it, it, it's just so simple so somebody comes along and says hey rachel i've got i noticed when you did when you spoke at your last conference yeah you know if you would have just focused on this more and if you said ah i got that thanks you know, but the problem is, so you just put a wall up, no, your no, defensiveness. I would have stunted my own growth by oh, not accepting. No, absolutely. And then what that person says to themselves is they go, okay, I'm never saying something to her again. Yes. And if that happens in an office setting or a team yes. setting, man, we can learn so much from people. Um, it, and it's amazing. It, it is amazing when we humble ourselves. And that was, that what was cool, uh, was the humility among mm-hmm. these guys that mm-hmm. I interviewed mm-hmm. is that they were open to those lessons. They, and they didn't walk on water. They would have told you that too. Yeah. But, but they were open as they came. I would think there's got to be a piece of developing trust that happens too, because it's like, I want you to tell me, but the people going, but you're not going to like fire me or shoot me or something. If I tell you, I mean, there's a trust that's built and a dance that's done where everybody's growing into the better who they are by doing that. And, and a key precursor to a lot of that is spiritual wholeness. Yeah. When you know who you are and who you aren't, and, and but how much God loves you. Right. Hey, if somebody's going to give you advice. Yeah. And, and here's another piece. This is how convictions come in. Because if your conviction is to be the best communicator you can, yeah. well, when somebody gives you advice, you're going to be more receptive to it. Right. Because of that right. conviction. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, good. Years ago, I was in college ministry. And... Mm-hmm. Um, and was in charge of a, a large college group on our campus uh, in undergrad years. And there were so many things I didn't know. And so I sought out a couple other churches, college pastors yeah. at other churches, to see what I can learn from them. Right. And it was those were such valuable lessons of seeking out. So that was a little more the active side. Um, but it's also that passive side, huge. Right. Yeah, because you're... Yeah, that's good. Okay, so another epoxy. We're on three. So yeah, yeah, third the one, yeah, that's the third epoxy-like okay. seam. So the fourth is buoyancy. Oh. And buoyancy is huge. Buoyancy is kind of the the long-term shelf life capacity. Okay. So so many people will flare up as high-impact leaders and then they'll burn out. Yeah. Yeah. 
buoyancy helps you over the long haul. Over the long haul. Buoyancy is a combination of two two elements, but but buoyancy doesn't mean you'd never go underwater. Okay. It means at some point you're going to pop, pop back up. up. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. And it was huge. When I was, uh, <laughs> years ago, I used to work for the Navy yeah. as a consultant at the Navy base down in San Diego, 32nd okay. Street Base. And I would work on the aircraft carriers and some of the battleships that came in oh, for cool. their overhauls. It was a great job. I just yeah. did it for a little over a year. My yeah. dad got me the job. It was a yeah. really cool thing in between architecture schools when okay. I was okay. doing this. But one day I was reading a uh, uh, at, at one of the desks, some guy left a book on naval architecture. Oh. And I began to learn about buoyancy for the first time, even though I had physics and I yeah, must yeah, have slept yeah. during that section of physics. Yeah. But it was fascinating to learn about buoyancy. But what I found in these in these uh, interviews with each of these these guys was they, they all had these kind of twofold capacities. And okay. they and in order to grow a church to 2,000 plus, right, right, some churches, some of the guys, the churches were over 15, 16, 17,000. Right. It takes time. So you Correct. have to do it over the long haul. Right. And which is, so buoyancy was huge. Right. But buoyancy was a twofold capacity to flex. Okay. Adapt and endure change. So they had, they had to have the ability to be flexible, mm, adaptable, mm. but yet maintain core convictions. Yep. So, yep. so that, that flex, but yet be anchored to the core convictions, plus a laser-like perseverance. Wow. Yeah, it so makes sense. It was those, those two in, in concert allow the buoyancy, allow the long-term flotation yeah. uh, to endure over the long haul and oh. bear fruit over the long haul. Over oh, the long haul. That's good. So that's it. Four layers of confidence and four, four epoxy-like seams. And how much stronger it is when it's that way. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Layer no, by layer, thicker and able to really withstand for the long haul. Oh, yeah. That's why, right? There's a long and an end game that takes fuel and takes the, the strength of all of those. No, That's good. That's good. No, it's huge. And there's a lot of interaction between them, too, yeah. in terms of how they... Because, uh, like, you think of... of of like primitive confidence and and how sports can uh, can make a difference right. and like I think of my experience in high school football. Yeah. Okay. Not everybody on my team gained primitive confidence. You know, we played on the same team, had the right. same coaches. Right. But some of it involves your convictions. Exactly. Some of it involves your your spiritual wholeness, your right. ability to be open to right. lessons and things like that. So there there's a lot of interaction between these. You you could have even had a different experience because one person's hearing the attaboy when they didn't make the star play but they did fine yeah and another one's being ripped out at home and rah, 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 you know what i'm saying and so they never had a chance to get the primitive confidence from that same experience same coaches yeah. same thing right oh yeah no and the same thing with even with our kids and our families yeah you know they get the same love and affection in yep. a sense from mom and dad but the perceptions exactly. can be very different very different very different okay so the book is igniting future yep. and then the subtitle how to build people of high impact. Yeah. So the hope would be that somebody gets this in their hands and they know and they find out about these elements so they can be super aware and start pouring it into people as best they can mm -hmm. to make high impact leaders. Right? Yeah. No, and that's my that's my heart's desire. You know, we naturally when we read something, we, yeah. we filter our own experiences through it first and we're like, "Well, boy, did I get that? Did yeah. I not get that?" Yeah. And that's that's what I'm assuming. Uh, and that's what I desire. People will really kind of see well, did I get this? And and so my the last chapter in the book is yeah. actually called Learn It, Assess It, Shore It Up, and Give It Away. Oh, good. So really, learn these principles. Learn these layers of confidence. What are they? How do we yep. get them? Yep. The, the four epoxy-like seams. 
and then assess it. You know, what, what, what are you missing? What in your life do you need some, yep. some building up? And then yep. the third is shore it up, you know, mm-hmm. seek a mentor, mm-hmm. work on mm-hmm. an area, get some counsel, um, whatever it takes to shore it up in your own life yes. and then give it away. Yeah. I mean, we can give away vicarious confidence left and right. Left we and can right. give away command confidence if we're in charge of others, supervising others. Yeah. Or even just as a parent, yeah. we can give And letting confidence. them run with it because otherwise they, they don't feel the weight of it as oh, good. It's huge. And our convictions, people will catch our convictions as we as we live in community with them. And they see our passion. And any good leader, I believe, wants not to ever shoot other people down but just be around and in the mix of other good mm-hmm. leaders. Anybody around you that's good is going to make you better, right? Mm-hmm. So oh, absolutely. to not be afraid of that, but to celebrate, this is a good leader, or now I have it. I always tell people, if I don't have $5, I can't give you $5 if you ask. But yeah. if I do, I can impart it. And Paul always said in scripture, I've come to impart this to you. Yeah. Like I'm giving away what I have. Mm-hmm. Here you go. And really, God doesn't go, now Rachel doesn't have it anymore. He goes, Rachel still keeps it mm-hmm. and gave some to Tom. Tom still keeps it and gave some to Rachel. You, mm-hmm. you know, it's crazy math, yeah. but God wants us to give it away and impart whatever we have to the, another person. No, I think that's part of his grand design for us. It's fabulous because we're not is. solo sport people at all. We're really to be the people that are, well, I'm pretty sure it's Romans that says, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others yeah. for our own benefit and the others. My giftings are for your, you, for me. You know, it's crazy that God wants us to be that interconnected, Yeah, but it's so exciting yeah. to see how interconnected oh, yeah. we're to be. Yeah. It's no, wonderful. Very good word. Aren't you excited? Oh, I am so pumped. <laughs> you know, I wish every parent, every youth pastor yeah. in the country would, would, would pick So up how this can book. people get the book where it's available through? So it's at Amazon. Okay. So you can either... Type in Tom Tonicliffe to Amazon yep. or Igniting Future. Okay. And it's in Kindle or paperback. Great. Okay. And spell Tonicliffe. T-U-N-N-I-C-L-I-F-F F as in Fred Flintstone. There you go. <laughs> That's good. That's good. It's right there on the front and you spelled it right. <laughs> That's good, good thing, huh? That's really good. Let's pause a second. If you are enjoying The Real Deal with Rachel Inouye, subscribe, rate, and review it. I appreciate your support. All right, back to the real deal. Okay, so let me ask you, it doesn't have to be one last question, but let me ask you a question. Out of all of those levels that you talked about, of whether it's the vicarious confidence or the command confidence or the turbo confidence, maybe the tur- maybe I want to know about the turbo. If you're willing to share. Sure. What's something that's been hard, but you're through it, or you're at least not in the breaking point stages of it that has really formed you too because you're amazing tom oh you're amazing and something that god has done in some people would think to you is really not the way god works but for you Hmm. what is an area that you'd be willing to share you know let's see do you have any kleenex nearby yes (laughs) right there yeah good (laughs) i think two two of the most significant lessons that come up is one uh when my dad was diagnosed with early onset alzheimer's when I was in college, I so I was in my early twenties, and uh, I got the call from my mom, and it was just crushing. Ugh. So he had to retire early. So he was diagnosed in his late fifties. So I moved home. I actually moved from college up to Northern California, where my parents relocated to help my mom take care of my dad. Yeah. And that's where I got my first architecture job. And just those lessons in that those years of of his dementia and caring for him. 
and then crossing that threshold of where he had to be institutionalized because yeah. we couldn't care for him at one point but we would still see him often my mom would oh, go course. multiple times to visit and then i would be able to go on weekends but just that whole experience was huge god used that to break my um prideful yeah. self-centered heart you know i used to think i'd like to think i was like mr nice christian guy but i was pretty self-centered I, well, I learned that when I got married and Kirsten and I went to the video store and it's like, oh, I don't get to pick the movie. We got to negotiate this. Uh, I could bulldozer, but yeah, not every weekend. <laughs> but with my dad, he, he, the Lord used that experience to just soften my heart towards yeah. others and give me compassion and and feel the pain of others. And so that was that was huge, you know. And I would beg God to heal my dad, and yeah. and he he. You know, he eventually healed him. You know, he yeah. brought him home to heaven. That's how he healed him. Yeah. But uh, but that was huge. So that, I would say what that's did your mom the... say when she told you the news? What, do you remember? Do you remember where you were standing, where you were? You know, I was in my apartment uh, in college, and she called on the phone. And um, just, uh, you know, I, I actually, uh, I don't recall the exact words, yeah, okay. but it was just the, the message that dad's. You know, he's, they've been doing tests and they think that he's got Alzheimer's. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so he's having to quit work and right. she kind of scaffolded him for a while and like helped him with work and would right. do reports and right. stuff like that and realize this isn't working. Yeah. I have a friend who was a nurse and so at first self-diagnosed, like I, I can't do my job. Yeah. I can't do my job. I'm going to be writing the wrong things down on these charts because I literally can't remember things yeah. you know and so it's it's a hard it's a hard thing it really is yeah but i remember at the time too of just having such a great church community i mm. i had um, so many people that were prayer just praying and yeah. and checking in and um, that was huge and the other thing too even though i lost my dad when uh, he passed away when i was 30 okay all through those years even when he had alzheimer's god brought father-like figures figures just, you know, little snapshots. It was never yep. official. Yep. You know, it wasn't oh, yeah, like yeah. adopted dad kind of thing. It was yep. just people, men of influence. Yeah. And that's just the grace of God. It is. So that was a, a huge lesson. So. I think nature abhors a vacuum and so does God. When yeah. God sees a vacuum in our life, if we're open to see instead of I need it this way, God. Yeah. You know, if we're, he brings something, someone, a person, whatever mm -hmm. to help us with our voids. Yeah. He really does. Okay, what about another one? So the second significant one is of recent, yeah. of, of our daughter, who we deeply love. When um, It's like when she turned 13, it's like an alien invaded her body. She just mm -hmm. became a different person. Yeah. And uh, we have three kids mm -hmm. and a, grand, uh, a granddaughter and a daughter-in-law now. But at the time, or even growing up as young kids, we had a pretty normal family. Yeah. My two youngest are adopted and my oldest is ours by birth and uh but for whatever reason when my daughter turned 13 it's just a something switch. happened it's like a switch and just uh, um just trying to figure out who she was you know and so she would go from drama to drama to peer group to peer group from school to school it was just exhausting and and embarrassing and oh my gosh she was at a christian school and i just got a new job as a pastor and a lot yeah. of the people went to that their kids went to that Christian school and here my daughter is expelled yeah. for yeah. X, Y, and Z. And, you know, and, and in one sense you learn to get over that. Yeah. You learn to get over the shame yeah. of that, of knowing that God's 
got this, but in the midst, it was it was just so hard. And eventually, she ran away from home when she was sixteen. And we, the only thing that we knew that she was in Chicago, which yeah. is like two hours away from where right. we are. We didn't know where, um, but we knew she was there, and it just scared us to death. Yeah. Just not, it, our prayer life just went through the roof of just begging God to spare her life and, yeah. and bring her home. And, you know, by his grace, we eventually found her and uh, brought her home. And that didn't go so smoothly and easily. And um, and then we, uh, were, uh, the Lord led us to just an incredible uh, girls' boarding school, mm. Christian school, mm. Agape House, uh, out in Lake Geneva. Mm-hmm. And it was it just changed our family and our world it had such a huge impact on hannah and they don't let kids go to the school unless the family commits to being right. a part of the healing right. process it's so, the epoxy oh it was huge you know what i mean they know that that's going to be a big deal so yeah it's not we're not going to just fix your kid while your family goes on this whole thing has affected your whole family and so kirsten and i would go to every week you know yeah, that was I like remember a, that it was an hour drive there and all kinds of weather and craziness, but it was so worth it. And, and bonding with other parents whose girls are there for similar reasons, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, just trying to figure out who they are and struggling with life. And, but that school just immersed them in the grace of God, in the, in examples of the love of Christ yep. and the grace of God and immersed the parents in yep. the grace of God yep. and the love of God. Yeah. And, you know, we made it through, Yeah. you know, and, and, you know, Hannah eventually graduated from high school. Yeah. And and she's had a a, a lot of different jobs yeah. and and our relationship is so much better. Oh, so good. We are just so so grateful. And yeah. so that's just been a Yeah. A, a huge thing. And you know, I'd love to say every story turns out like that. I mean, she's still growing, she's still trying to figure out yeah. who she is. Yeah. But uh, but we love her, she loves us yeah. and and it that's is so deal. much better. That's a big it, deal. It's I huge. mean, that's a long road, but a really beautiful, it's not ending because I believe God is going to continue, but it is, it's a beautiful thing. It, it really is. So you're not the same person because of those things. Oh my gosh. It makes you a much humbler parent for sure. <laughs> when other people share their stories. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it's hard though to empathize with people when they're concerned about, you know, my kid's going to get a B this semester. Yeah. I'm like, Hey, at least they're alive. At least they're going to school. <laughs> Do you know where they sleep at night? Yeah. That's a, no, that's a bonus. It's, it's huge. So it gives you a, a, yeah. a broader perspective right. in life. Right. It allows you to be a little more resilient. Right. You know, when the things come, you you choose which hills to die on. Right. And, um, and that's that's been a huge life lesson yeah. for us. Even I, this morning, I got a call at 5 a.m. this morning from yeah. Hannah. And she said, Dad, I'm in a snowbank. Can you come dig me out? <laughs> she was going to pick up her boyfriend. Oh, okay. And uh, and she was going too fast around a corner. It oh, hit no. some black ice, slid into yeah. a snowbank. Yeah. Car got stuck. So I throw a bunch of shovels. I'm out there at five in the morning. Her boyfriend and I are digging the car out. <laughs> we couldn't do it. And finally, a police car came along and, and bumped us you. out. And we got her out and, and, and whatnot. But um, when we got home uh, a little bit later, she said, thanks, Dad, for... Yeah. <clears throat> And it was just so cool. So cool. It's a long road and a beautiful thing that she would even utter those words. Oh, yeah. It's yeah. huge. It's huge. You know, I couldn't help but think of 
God doesn't love us any less when we're going around a corner and we smash into a, you know, snowbank. You know what I mean? Like we literally have a, can have a distorted view of God. He's like, I got my shovels. I'm coming for you. Do you know what I mean? No. I love you. That's what I'm doing. That's you know, so true. I don't true. love you less. I don't love you only when you're perfect. And and the same thing with when you were at the Agape house and you were learning that this affects your whole family. God doesn't love us if we're perfect parents. He loves us no matter what because he knew he had kids oh. that were in the garden and did their own thing. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And he was the perfect parent. Yeah. So it, it doesn't stop his love at yeah. all. It, yeah. Actually, I think those experiences teach us no. that his love is lavish and it that it really is not conditional. It's so it's huge. Unconditional. And and I have to admit, you know, there's a little bit of the parental um, unction that wants me to give a little lecture of, well, yeah. you should have been going a little slower next yeah. time. But I knew in my heart, she yeah. knew that. Yep. I didn't have to remind her of right. that. I just needed to help her out. Yeah. That's all she needed. She didn't need the reinforcement to make sure she got it. Yeah. You know, right. I just, and that's a trust thing, too. You just have to trust that God's going to teach them and, and, and me not nag them. Yeah. And I don't know this for certain. But not having a mini lecture, even if it was mini or just a moment thing, may have helped her come and say, Dad, thanks. Do hmm. you know what I mean? Because yeah. you didn't. Yeah. And she probably knew you could have hmm. or maybe had a list of what you might have said and you didn't. You yeah. just loved her and rescued her. No, good word. That's beautiful. That's good. I am so honored that you were here. I'm oh. not kidding. I'm well, so glad that you did this. I this think has been that a lot of fun. people need to check. What's the first book's name? Uh, it's a theology book. More it's, of you are just yeah. It's it's how pastors grow. Okay. Yeah. So it's and it's more a lot more technical. It's really written for an academic audience, okay. professors and okay, um, and whatnot. So this is really the 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 book that puts it out in a way that anybody can pick up and, right. and enjoy it. And, right. That's good. Well, I hope people do. Would you be comfortable just praying for whoever's listening to this? Would love to. Okay. Would so love you to. pray for our listeners and. And I want to pray quickly for you. Hey, sounds great. Okay, thanks. Father, thank you for a chance to visit today. And mm -hmm. Lord, we're just so grateful for how you come after us. And in spite of our, our issues and challenges, Lord, you love us, you accept us, you uh, just pour your affection on us. And I pray that for everyone listening would experience your love and affection, that they would experience spiritual wholeness, Lord, that they would be okay with who they are and who they aren't, Lord, because mm -hmm. you, you love them just the way they are, Lord. It's not to say that we're going to be want them to just stay in uh, maybe a, a, a stuck habit, Lord, yeah. um, or accommodate that, Lord, but you just love us and that you will woo us mm -hmm. and draw us to you. And I'm just so thankful. And I just pray that each one experiences more of that, but that each one listening is able to identify layers of confidence or areas they can shore up, mm -hmm. Lord, and and how you forge our convictions in our communities, Lord. I pray that you draw people to community. And I just thank you, Father. I thank you for everyone listening today. Mm -hmm. In mm -hmm. Jesus' name, amen. amen. God, I want to thank you for this time today. I thank you that every day ordained for us is written in your book before any of them come to be. And you knew about today. You knew about this topic. You knew that Tom would have this book and that I'd be sitting here, that listeners would be driving or on a treadmill or cleaning a house or whatever they may be doing. God, I thank you for what you've taught Tom and that he's willing to 
research things, go after things, study things, but then impart them to other people and give it away, God. And I ask that you would bless him from the top of his head to the soles of his feet, Father. I pray that you'd strengthen his frame. I pray that you'd be with him and Kirsten. I pray for their marriage, God, for their children and grandchildren, God. I I just want to ask you to bless him big time, God, with the shield that we already know you promised that's around him and that you'd lift his head today. Thank you for all of the things that you've brought him through, God, and thank you that you have good plans for him ahead, Lord. Thank you for this book. I just pray, God, that it would get into the hands of people who would be encouraged by it, would be equipped to do what they're called to do, that people would know that we're made on purpose for a purpose, and that it would really set people in ranks to step forward in your kingdom and to do the things that you're asking them to do. God, I thank you for the good leaders we've had in our lives. I thank you for the people that have instilled in us whether it's one layer of confidence or something vicarious or something that they really just told us something. I'm asking that you would give Tom more of those and that he'd be quick to see who he can be pouring into, God. I thank you for the way he does that so naturally, Lord. It's just his second language, first language is encouragement and being able to see the good in others. So I'm just grateful for him. Father, I pray that you'd bless him and that you'd bless these listeners and that everybody would know, God, that you are a God who makes each one of us individuals, but you're so pleased that we bear your image. So just thank you for who you are, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you. My pleasure. What a delight. This was really great. You were wonderful. You've been listening to The Real Deal with me, Rachel Inouye, helping people celebrate their significance and the genius of God in them. Audio engineering by my husband, Michael Inouye. Thanks, babe. Theme music by Andrew Grace.